Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. I, mean, I, I saw, saw that some kid got stung by a scorpion. He had seven heart attacks and then died. Oh, yeah. One time I was in Tucson with a... Are uh, you about from... to one-up this dead kid? No, 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 no. no. I was in Tucson with my friend uh, Adam and Jordan. My friend Adam is like, he is deathly afraid of spiders, like to the point, like a picture of a spider scares him, a toy spider. Weird. Scares him, right? We're in this like, or like wherever the place we're staying. And then one morning I'm like, oh shit, nobody move. There's a scorpion on the floor. Like a po- like a really deadly scorpion, you know? Did you know the difference though? Like, you can tell by the size of their pinchers. Okay, so you knew, but you you clocked it, right? You like just, I don't know. If, you didn't find out afterwards. No, like I didn't know if it was going to be if this would like straight up kill you if it stung you, but it's like you don't want to get stung by it type right. of thing, right? Like the ones with the big fat pinchers, like it's like getting a bee sting type of thing, but the tiny ones are the ones that will fu- with the tiny pinchers will fuck you up. And he's just like going over there with like a piece of paper to like try and pick it up, and I'm like, no. And he's like, well, it's just a big deal. I'm like, that's like super poisonous, dude. You're afraid of daddy long legs, right? And he's like, what's the big deal? And I'm just like, just stop what you're doing. Like get a cup or squash it or something, you know, not just try and pick it up essentially with your hands. And uh, and I was just like, dude, it's like a scorpion is just a spider with a with a poison whip on its butt. It's like spider prime. It's a spider. It's like it's like the super shredder of spiders. But yeah, no, it's not as good of a story as the kid who uh, got seven heart attacks from being stung by a scorpion. And then died. And then died. Yeah, somehow you guys managed to make it out. Well, I was I was always going to make it out because I wasn't a f- being a fucking idiot. Right, you you're know? knowledgeable. You did your yeah. research. You read like, an encyclopedia. If it, if it had stung Adam and gotten loose and was running, I would just head straight for the door. And then you'd be like, uh, from outside yelling, do you need me to call the ambulance? I wouldn't have tried to be a hero in that situation. Yeah. Because it's like, I warned you. It's crazy, though. There's like the the foolproof method for dealing with almost any creature is take like a jar or a cup or a bucket mm-hmm. and just like put it on top of it. Yeah. And then figure it out, right? That buys you yeah. some time. Unless it's right. big enough that it can like move that shit around, which that's terrifying. Yeah. That's right. very scary. Or it's like just the is big enough that just even the act of approaching it with the cup cup or bucket is uh dangerous, you know? Yeah. Cause it could like strike out like anaconda style. Yeah, but I mean with a bucket you can sort of position it. So right. It's like a shield. Yeah. I don't know, with like a big snake that would still be pretty risky, I think. Oh yeah, snake? No. No. Yeah. Snakes you can just leave. You just yeah. leave them alone. Yeah. But not if it's in your place. Yeah, definitely. Yet the the snake owns the property now. Yeah, you move out. Yeah, the, you just sign your name and give the paperwork to the snake. Yeah, and then it puts it in a little briefcase and then slithers <laughs> away with like exactly a, a little hat and a coat. Hmm. Um. Anyway, Pretty hello. Dude. Here we are. It's the Trash Sheep Podcast. I'm Elliot. That's Keith. Yeah, this, this is, is the, the show, show with the longest cold open in the history of podcasts. Hope I don't you know like about those that. stories. 
Have you ever listened to the podcast Mostly Nitpicking? Because that podcast is about three hours long, and two hours of them is just going like, hey, did you pick your butt today? No, I don't listen to podcasts, and I I also hate saying the word podcast. I do too. It's awful. Someone suggested to me that I should go to a podcast convention, and I just fell over absolutely dead. Was that? But was you? Was it unrelated? Why you fell over? Like you were you were stung by a scorpion, and that's why you fell over? No, it's directly related to the notion of going to a podcast convention. Did you go to the convention? No, I would never do that. That sounds awful. What if they had uh, free pretzels? No, I don't like pretzels that much. You know what? I'm I'm not a huge pretzel guy. I mean, I enjoy a pretzel, but I'm not like one of those like, oh, I love a pretzel. Yeah, and in fact, like if I think about it, I would much rather have like a big bread pretzel than a like a snack pretzel. Oh, I agree. Agreed. Yeah, I don't even really like the the snack pretzels at all. Yeah, or the pretzel sticks. Although, have you had Dots pretzels? The brand Dots pretzels? No. Those are good. I like those. All that's the only one that I would be like in the store. I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll buy a bag of these today. No other rolled gold. Get them out of here. Do not want. All they do is make you thirsty. And then once you have a drink to quench your thirst, then you just want more pretzels. It's a fucking It's a vicious cycle. Speaking of scams. Speaking of overindulging in snacks, we're talking about Copland. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about the movie Copland from 1997, starring Robert De Niro, Sylvester Stallone, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert Patrick. Michael uh, Rappaport. Edie Falco, Janine Garofalo, uh, Method Man. Oh, it is Method Man. Method Man in the beginning. He, no, Method Man's in. He's a. Uh, he's later in the movie. Method Man's the one who throws Peter Berg off the top of the building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then Malik Yorba is in uh, Robert De Niro's uh, Internal Affairs Squad. <clears throat> yeah, this yeah, movie's got quite the cast. Yeah, it's as star-studded as a Wes Anderson production. Yeah, and not but, uh, nearly as funny. Thinking of a big ensemble cast, though, I just want to, before we get into this, I want to talk about something else different entirely. I watched that movie Alive recently. It was the first time I'd seen it since it came out in like 92 or 3 or whatever. That's the movie where the the plane crashes and then Peter Berg has to eat all his friends? Yeah, not Peter Berg's not in that one. It's Ethan Hawke. It's Ethan Hawke. He eats all his friends. Oh. Yeah, that movie had like a bunch of people at the time, like young actors who were like, all like none of them were famous, but they're all like, "Ooh, one of these guys could be the next big thing," and then none of them became the next big thing except for Ethan Hawke, who was already the most famous person in the movie because of Dead Poet Society and the Explorers and stuff that came out before. I think I would have like started digging in way sooner than those people did. Like they have, like they wait till they get pretty hungry and then then they start eating people. I mean, I, my my kind of thought process is, I know I'm eventually going to eat this these people. Who are like frozen in the snow? Might as well start doing it now. Did they cook them? Um. So this. So I actually the way this came to be was of watching it again. Is Francis? She had listened to a podcast about it, and she was like, "Oh, I didn't know anything about this. Really, it's uh, crazy." Uh, uh, there's to that it. word again. <laughs> you don't say the p word then, on the trash heap program. And and then I was like, "Oh, I really haven't even thought about this since I saw the movie." You know, back. T- what is that, like 30 years ago now? Almost 30 years? 
And I was like, I listened to it. And I was like, man, this is exactly the way I remember the movie being. And I was like, we should watch the movie, right? So in the podcast, they do describe that they take the the flesh after they cut it off and they dry it in the sun. But in the movie, they just start like ch- they just slice it and start chowing. They dry it in the sun. Yeah, they would like put it on a piece of metal and like put it in the sun and like dry it out that way. Oh, so that's kind of cooking. Yeah, it'd be like they turned it into like a jerky s type thing. But yeah, I don't know. I see. I think I would just start. I would go in much sooner than they did. How about you? I don't know. I would probably just die, honestly. What if you if we were in that situation together, and you died? Would I do? I have your permission to eat you. You have my permission to die. You don't. You won't let me. Eat you? Dark Knight Rises. Oh right. Yeah. 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 That's a movie reference. Here's the thing. Like, my natural inclination in a survival situation is to start walking. Right. And just to go somewhere and not stay put. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the course of my life, I have been very good at waiting things out. But in that scenario, I would not want to sit and wait to die or to be discovered or found or whatever. So I would just start moving and there's a very high probability that I would either freeze to death or fall or get eaten by another animal or something. And well, that's so, the thing. There was no other animals there. And in order to even, like, they did what, that's how they got saved is two of them walked out. But they had to take lumps of human body with them to eat along the long trip. So, once again, you're kind of actually skirting my question, which is, you and I are in this scenario. Well, then I would starve to death. No, I don't. You, I don't think I want to eat people. But what if you died? Could I? You, are you granting me permission to eat? You? I don't have any rights. Dead people don't have rights. I was gonna. If, let's I was let's gonna con- get that out of the way right yeah. now. If you think somehow that dead people have anything to say about what happens to them after they're dead, you are wrong. Maybe it's a like a sad realization. Maybe it's doesn't feel good to hear, but that is the case. You can do whatever you want to a dead person when they're dead. I want, I'm going to have to confess, too, like, regardless of what your answer had been, like, if you said, no, Elliot, I don't want you to eat me, I still probably would have eaten you. That's fine. And that's in that scenario, even if you, like, specifically asked me not to. I, didn't, I, I can't fathom a reality where I would be like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you uh, presume to eat me after I'm dead? It's like, roll my body into a canyon. Uh, or prop me up in a funny position, like do whatever you want. So say like you and I are just like not in a life or death survival scenario. We're just hanging out. You just kill over. I decide to slice off a little snack. How do you feel about that? That's fine. I would ask that maybe you consider a taxidermy type situation before you start snacking though. Because if I if I keel over and you have a perfectly preserved version of me, like maybe yeah. keep me around. Just put me in like a sitting position so I'm just like permanently on the couch. Well yeah, but I mean I would definitely like I could definitely do that and still snack because you're just you're the only thing you're really saving there is the skin, you know? The the flesh gets thrown out in most taxidermy type situations. Well, what so, do you uh, consider flesh? Everything below the skin, uh, under the subcutaneous layer. Yeah, like you, like I would skin you, load you up with stuffing and styrofoam for the taxidermy type scenario, and then I have all this good meat left over. That's funny. I always considered the uh, the top layers of skin to be flesh. Well, I guess in like that's such a wild term, as as I coined get, yeah. by Clive, invented by notorious uh, scientist Clive Barker. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess like in a, it's all kind of subjective in that sense of how you use the term flesh. Like if I took a bite of you, like and you're alive and I just got some of the skin in my mouth, but I ripped it off, but all the muscles still intact and you're just like, you just ate a piece of my flesh. I think that would be an appropriate use of the word, you know? I think as um, soon as you get into veins and... Uh, what are the other things? There's veins and um... muscle. No, what's the other thing called? What are you t- like? Are you talking about cartilage? No, it's the veins and sinew, arteries. Art arteries are a vein, dude. Oh, there's a big vein. Well, whatever. Big veins. Aren't they, aren't they just? It's the same thing, right? I mean, there's little veins, varicose veins. Right, yeah. there's different types. It's good to be specific yeah. about that. Yeah, I think of thing. I'm fairly certain that an artery is considered just a big vein. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, once you get into that really important stuff, I feel like that's not flesh anymore. No, no, no. That's well. I mean, it's. Uh, I guess yeah. I guess it's just kind of like. But that's my personal use... opinion. That may not yeah. be correct. I think it's a situation. Anatomists, basis. where are you at? Yeah. Let us know. Well, we're not even talking about like we're talking about it in terms of just like we're having a conversation. You know. You, you, you want to chop some of that up over there? What are you going to call it? You know, it doesn't have to be the proper scientific ter- uh, term. Well, regardless of the terminology, you know who's got some extra flesh in the movie Copland? Sylvester Stallone. That's true. Not as he, much as they make it out to be, though. No, I mean, like, he gained some weight for the role. I think more... But uh, maybe, like, 15 or 20 pounds. It's not like a... An, uh, like a Christian Bale situation where he's like unrecognizable. Right. He still looks like Sylvester s- Stallone. Yeah. I think he's still got like a beautiful jawline. Yeah. And more significantly than how much weight he gained is he got rid of all of his muscles for it. You know? He yeah. Just, that's really it. Like he is just not ripped. <laughs> right. He, his physique, he just looks like a regular guy. And, and well, s- instead of like a, an, an aging, like, like a, a Spartan, you know? Yeah, he looks a little more human, and that's about yeah. it. Like, it's really, yeah. he does, I like his funny walk that he does. I think, actually, I think his performance is much more notable than any of the kind of the superficialities. Because, like, what he does with his voice and the way he kind of carries himself physically is yeah. is actually more remarkable. And also his sort of hound dog kind of, forlorn like puppy dog face is actually mm-hmm. like really works for him in this role and so i'll get more into this later when we get more into like the analysis and whatnot but this is hands down for me i think stallone's best performance uh by by a long shot um even better than first blood yes whoa and i, and I yeah, like i said i'll get more and like break all of this down why i think it is um, but just real quick before we get into all that. Yeah, Copland. run down. We've talked about the bloated Stallone. Now talk about the bloated story. <laughs> <laughs> the story Boom. could be considered is perhaps slightly bloated. This is a movie from 1997 written and directed by James Mangold. When you, when you have a name like that, you are destined for success. Man, oh, absolutely! Gold. Yeah, you're gonna absolutely. be rich. There's, it's written yeah. in the stars. Yeah, you're good. Like everything you touch, uh, turns into men or into gold. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, the plot of this movie is it's about a bunch of police officers who 
live in kind of a um this town that's that's like basically they bought up all this real estate in the town it's a gated town community Garrison, for crooked cops yes it's like it's 90 percent cops live in this small uh town of garrison new jersey uh one of the cops is, one night from leaving a party is uh driving home drunk he's a young rookie cop he he's driving over the bridge that connects new jersey to new york he thinks somebody has pulled a gun on him but they haven't he pulls out his gun and like drunk and like shoots the people and then when the other cops show up they're like oh this is looking bad so they fake his death and they're going to like kind of like start him over with a new life somewhere else like send him off to utah or something but then like it's becoming out that they can't really cover this up so they're going to kill that guy but he escapes and then the town sheriff played by sylvester stallone is kind of figuring all this stuff out and uh learning that the town is fully corrupt and blah 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 and then action ensues he has to you know stand up to all the bad cops now that's like a pretty like sounds like a pretty simple you know rundown of the, the plot but i mean that's more just like the premise rather than what's actually going on in the movie as a whole but like just to get that out of the way the big deal here is that the these crooked cops kind of get to do whatever they want and uh, sylvester stallone is kind of the the guy who never made it as a city cop or a hero cop and he's kind of in place as just like a, a phony sheriff watching this town. Everybody treats him like a joke. Yeah. And the whole movie is kind of about, uh, you know, the nature of uh, po- police work and what that kind of lifestyle is like and how that kind of blurs the lines between right and wrong and finding uh, you know, reasoning and excuses and logic in order to just get get the desired results in any scenario. And it's a, lots right. of moral conundrums. Moral conundrums, and that's like that's the ethical part of the story. And then the other parts of the story are, you know, like living up to what are the expectations of you, what are your expectations of yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, he's 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 the town sheriff of this little town, and they kind of give him this job as a token because he couldn't make it on the police force because he's deaf in one ear, and he's deaf in one ear because he saved a girl from drowning when he was a teenager. <laughs> and in the process of that, like he he lost hearing in one of his ears. They gave him the so it's he's kind of like full life condition. He's he's yes, he's George Bailey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh hey hey, uh, Harvey Cartel, you can't do that in my town. Uh, but yeah, so they so he's kind of like the town hero, and they're like, ah, we'll let you be the you know the the sheriff of our phony police town. You know, Copland. That's why it's called Copland. Theme park for cops theme park for caps so i think this movie i love this movie a lot it is um not perfect by any means but it is one of my favorite crime dramas and despite its flaws when it works it works in all the ways it really needs to as far as i'm concerned and i also think too if we're looking at it like from a you know this movie made in 97 looking at it from a perspective 2022 you know we're, when we're in society not just individuals or specific groups but as large swaths of society are reevaluating the role that police have in our society this movie holds up very well you know a lot of those movies from the 90s are kind of proving that they they were onto something so like this is not right. a new problem like you go back right. to even like uh, what year did bad lieutenant come out well that's like 89 or something yeah that was you know? like 
yeah, or maybe even like 90, 91, something like that. But yeah, it was, and even back in, uh, uh, back in the day, like, uh, colors. Yeah. With, uh, uh, Robert, Robert Duvall and, uh, Sean Penn. Yeah. You know, but the, the difference being with like some of those movies and this movie is a lot of those movies dealt with like police corruption, but it's like, oh, this group of cops over here is corrupt, you know? And then the good cops stop the the bad cops or vice versa or something to that effect, you know? In this movie, it kind of states that, like, essentially all cops are corrupt because the system is corrupt, you know? And because it goes from the top down. It's not just, like, this group. It's, like, all the way top down. And even though the hero of the movie is Sylvester Stallone and he's a sheriff, he's kind of a phony cop, right? He's somebody who always wanted to be a cop but couldn't. And then he, one of his arcs, because he has a few, is coming to the realization that these guys that he's admired are not good guys, and he has to stop them, you know? So he, he kind of transforms out of the role of wanting to be them, you know? So it's it's not like, oh, we still have a cop as the hero, even though he technically is law enforcement, you know? Yeah, and the great thing about his character is everyone on all sides, right? The the crooked cops, the hero cops, the internal affairs investigator who's supposed to be kind of the the moral compass of the whole thing. He his character is critical of them all because he's right. such a he's sort of a like a you know, altruistic to a fault and everyone looks at him as like naive and silly and you know, having the kind of values of like a child rather than like an a, adult with a, like an actual understanding of how the real world works. But he well, looks I mean, at them like, what is wrong with all of you? Right. Well, I mean, that's like, I mean, did you say like the child, they literally, cartel literally says to him, like your plan is the plan of a boy and yeah. they treat him like a kid all the time. And it comes down to the ending too, jumping ahead, spoilers, you know, at the end, they could easily kill him in that one scene, but instead of killing him, they just shoot a gun off. They say, don't worry, we're not going to kill you. And then they shoot a gun off in front of his good ear to like completely make him go deaf. And why do they do that? It's because of us underestimating him as a child. Like, ah, Freddy's, you know, he's like, he's fucking up right now, but he's a little kid. We'll just teach him a lesson. Yeah, they don't think he's capable of anything. And then he ends up blowing all of them away. Right. So it's like, it's like, we don't need to kill him because we're just going to give him a spanking. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's jumping ahead a little bit, but this movie was so basically like why is this movie on the trash heap it, you know it's got all these big stars it received mostly good reviews but the thing was this movie if you remember i kind of remember when this came out this was like kind of like being like positioned to be a big big deal you know yeah the expectations were unbelievably high given the kind of the hype around it and then also yeah. the the performers involved yeah like this monumental cast it's got like not only do you have big stars but you have stallone de niro and Keitel and ray liotta all in the movie together you know like they might have crossed paths with each other here and there before but now all of them in one big movie plus a slew of up-and-coming actors and other just established character actors and whatnot so it was and it was it was primed to be this huge thing and then when it came out it just kind of fizzled and didn't do well at the box office and kind of got forgotten for a while and then it slowly kind of i think regain some steam as a movie that's on cable or HBO sometimes and people watch and it's good, you know, and they're like, Oh yeah, that was a good movie, but not really like to the recognition it really should have gotten. And like you said earlier too, it's like a big deal was made about Stallone 
you know, being like, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to gain weight and get rid of my muscles. And I'm going to do a drama role after doing nothing but action movies for the, you know, like 15 years or terrible comedies or terrible comedies. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was a huge deal. Cause it was like, Oh, Stallone's back to serious acting. Right. It was whatever. supposed to be like his like career Renaissance and that didn't end up happening. You know, and I think uh, it was, it was really the victim of, its own hype and mm-hmm. I, I think like i was watching the siskel and ebert review of it and i think yeah. roger ebert kind of is the he's the perfect example of what went wrong because he talks about how great the screenplay is and how wonderful the writing is but his kind of first piece of feedback is i can only imagine what would have happened if someone like martin scorsese had directed this the right. screenplay instead and uh gene is like are you kidding me? Come on. Like that's, if you take like one of the greatest directors of all time, be like, Oh, what if he had directed police Academy? It would be so much better. You know? Right. Yeah. He he can't direct every movie. Like, well, I also don't think like he can't direct every movie and yeah, like there's some flaws in this, but they're flaws to me that like, for a first time director, this is kind of incredible. This is is second movie, but like still like that's right. Early, very early on director. It's like, the flaws in this are like flaws that don't really matter because they're not inherently, they don't really affect the outcome of the story and the emotions and what's happening on, on the screen. Like it's like really like kind of superficial flaws. Siskel loved the movie. I watched this, I watched it too. And Ebert and I was like, <laughs> yeah, his Ebert just talking about it. And one thing he talks about, and maybe no, this, I don't know if this was in the, uh, the TV show or I read his review too. He talks about, Stallone's performance as being one note and there's a big difference between one note and understated you know and a lot of times people get a lot of attention for doing performances where they yell or like they you know like you brought up Christian Bale like Christian Bale like oh he loses he doesn't just lose 20 pounds he loses 60 pounds or he just doesn't put on 20 pounds he puts on 70 pounds and then he acts all wild on camera you know or like uh bruce willis right he went yeah. from like being the sarcastic kind of guy with an attitude and like always cracking jokes to sleepwalking through right. every movie after uh, m night Shyamalan got a hold of him right right that became you know? his you talk about one note i'd say that's pretty much what that that energy was but and it's like but yeah you were right on the money with like stallone of like oh he the way he just subtly changes his walk and like the voice you know it's his voice and he doesn't really he's not doing a voice but it's it's sylvester stallone's voice but it's not you know to me i can't imagine anyone else but him in this like because of how he performed this role i can't imagine anyone else whereas ray Liotta, he's great in the movie no problem there. I can swap Riliota out for, you know, any other actor, you know, actor of that age. Yeah, actually, a lot of those yeah. guys, the the crooked cops, you could really, like, swap them out. They're all very good performers, but right. they're a lot of kind of just, like, a certain type of guy. Well, one thing I really like about this movie, too, is I like that they cast actors who uh, are mostly known for or frequently play gangsters Yeah, as the cops, you know? Uh, because it really primes you up right from the get about what the intention of the film is, you know? That's why I like Robert Patrick, though, because I feel like he's right on the line. Like, he could go either way, which is I think was a little bit stronger than, like, uh, maybe, like, Harvey Keitel, who sounded a little too much like he was in, like, Goodfellas or something. He definitely seems, yeah, 
I think some of the actors like really cross the line where it's just like, oh, you're not like a, a guy who normally plays a gangster playing a cop as usual, but you're just doing a gangster thing. Uh, and I think Kaitel is very good in this. I think he does a lot of yeah. things in it, like just certain line deliveries about like the way he condescends people, not, you know, just in general, like the line about like when uh, Stallone's like trying to figure out where, you know, about the garbage dumping. And he goes like, oh, garbage dumping, a felony, huh? You know, just like stop wasting my time, Freddie. Uh, he creates that us versus them yeah mentality very well in some subtle ways but robert patrick you're right on the money with that and to me also this is his second best role to terminator 2 and i think he's probably better in this but it's just that terminator yeah, definitely 2 definitely gets role to is, do more is so iconic that yeah. you know it's like it's he doesn't almost he almost doesn't seem like robert patrick he's different in terminator 2 than he is in everything else so it's like yeah. it's, it, that really stands out but he play he plays it he plays it just on the right level, you know, of not going too low and not going over the top, and that even that part at the end where he just comes out of the house when like Freddy's shooting up everybody and he goes, "What the fuck?" You know, like even that simple delivery is, is spot on. You know, I think he's great in it. Uh, I think everybody, pretty much everybody, is great in it. Uh, even like weird casting, like Janine Garofalo, it's like, oh, she's really good in this movie in her tiny her tiny little part. De Niro doesn't have a lot to do, but every time he's on screen, he makes full use of it, you know? Uh, and this is, like, one of the last, I think, kind of, like, right before De Niro went into that, like, meet the Fockers yeah. type, type slump, where it was, like, this and Jackie Brown, and Jackie Brown is one of my favorite performances of his, and this is right up there, too. Yeah, I like him here, and I always think it's funny, the whole, like, internal affairs deal mm-hmm. in... in- cop movies because it they all look at it it's like oh that's the you know internal affairs is always like trying to take us down and they're not to be trusted and they're not on our team you know we're about helping people and justice and you know punishing criminals and they don't give a fuck like they're just the pencil pushers and they care about red tape and blah 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 like they're so villainized but it really is like they're the oversight people like trying to make sure that things are on the up and up and Mm -hmm. they don't portray him in the same way. Like he's a lot more relatable and just kind of down to earth than like the typical internal affairs character. Who's usually they have someone with like the, you know, the perfect suit and like slick back hair and clean shaven and very like robotic, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has a dorky haircut and he's just kind of like, I mean, that scene where he's, like, eating the sandwich, you know, and just, and, and like, Lones comes in, and he's all like, well, you told me, you came to me, and he's like, yeah, that was, like, two weeks ago, like, well, you know, like, what do you want me to do now? And he's just, like, he's just keeping getting distracted by his sandwich, being like, where are the napkins, you know? It's such, like, yeah, he's not, like, this, he has a much more regular guy, and this is my job, but like, that he cares about, like, he's he really wants to get nail Kaitel's character, but he's not, like, the super altruistic hero or, and he's also not like just like the, the slimy insider villain, you know? Yeah. That scene where uh, he gets shut down, the case gets shut down by the mayor and mm-hmm. then he uh, trashes all the files and uh, is, you know, flipping out on his team. Uh, that scene's great. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I said, like he's in, the, he's in maybe like total screen time of this movie, six minutes, maybe 
you know? I mean, he's in multiple, maybe more than that, but uh, he doesn't waste a single second of it when when he's on there, you know? And he's not going over the top, even when he's freaking out. Uh, He's playing it pretty perfect, I think. The big thing with all these great characters, like this whole story and script ends up becoming very dense. Like there's a lot to just take in. Yeah. And so much of it is like subtle. Right? right, like, and if you if you aren't actively paying attention, you might miss a lot of it. Like at the in the scene where uh, the cop gets uh, the cop gets like basically like sideswiped by uh, another car on the George Washington Bridge, and he thinks he sees a gun. His tire gets blown out by a piece of glass or whatever, and so it's like it's a mistake, right? That the whole setup of the the movie is is kind of just a an oopsie but it's like yeah. has catastrophic results so it's like things end badly in that whole situation but it could have gone completely different right it's like everybody is sort of at fault and it's it's right. never like a clean cut and dry kind of thing yeah. i mean i would say it's a little bit more than an oopsie because like he's driving drunk to begin with you know, he thinks he has a gun and he could just stop the, his car, but instead he speeds up and starts shooting out of his window because he's drunk and all hyped up. Right. And he's, a, but he's also a hero cop. It's, it's all of these hero, sort yeah. of like, right. this happens, but he's also, it's like, there is no like, good people are good and bad people are bad. Right. It's totally. all very much shades of gray on I mean, I in think, every I, scenario. I think some of the people are like kind of just bad, you know, like, or like whatever badness they have overshadows shadows any like bit of good well i bet um, robert or i bet harvey Keitel gives a lot of money to his church and like reads to kids on on christmas you know sure yeah <laughs> uh good for him you know but i mean i think that does play into what you say earlier about like the justifications people make in their mind of like of why they do bad things and there's a line in it that i've seen this movie like probably like six or seven times but i when i was on this one that really stuck out to me and it's when, like, uh, Harvey Keitel's character, which is, what's his name, character's name? I don't uh, know. Tony or... Roy or... Billy Roy or, or Phil or... He's talking oh, to, yeah, like... Ray. Ray, 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 Harvey Keitel's, he's talking to, like, the person above him on the phone and saying, like, you gotta get rid of Wonder Boy, which is the Michael Rappaport character. Who's Super the guy who, Boy. Super Boy. I'm, now I'm looking who's, at everyone's name, so get ready to be corrected. <laughs> right. And, uh... So he's like, yeah, that's the character who's like involved in the incident thinking he saw a gun. And he's like, you got to get rid of him because everyone thinks he's dead. But if he shows up alive, we can't hide him anymore. So you're going to have to kill him. And this character is is Ray's nephew. And he goes, hey, it's my my wife's sister's son. I can't kill him. And then the other cop goes, didn't you say he was adopted? And it just stuck out to me. I was like, this is how you justify things like this. This is how you find the logic to do something like to like this. You find some, you pull out some nonsense reason and say like, oh, well, it's okay because of this. And that ha- everybody does that every day. But certain people do it a lot more. And people in power certainly do it a lot more. And the like little ways in which the script does that without necessarily a lot of lectures about the nature of right and wrong, you know, uh, I really appreciate. And I think is, like you said, it's, it's subtle and it's understated and maybe people wanted more scenes of someone standing up and grandstanding, you know, 
and making a, a moral declaration of what what's going on. But that doesn't really happen too much in this. And so when it does, it seems kind of appropriate. No, and we get that in, you know, traditional cop movies, right? Like, there's right. plenty of that. So it was, it's cool and different to see it here because we have... Uh, <laughs> We have movies like Time Cop and Kindergarten right. Cop and Cop and a Half and <laughs> One Good Cop with Michael Keaton, which is a mm. very good underrated cop movie. But there's there's plenty of cop movies where it's like black and white, right and wrong. We're we're on team hero cop and we're out to get the drug dealers and the bad guys and whoever. Like there's plenty of that stuff. So there's well, plenty of room for stories like this. Something I saw James Mangold talking about in like an interview from like a press interview from when it came out was, was it a press interview from when it came out? I don't know. It was some interview. It might have been a more recent one. But talking about how he kind of grew up in a neighborhood that was like this in terms of it was just populated by police officers. And he was saying that he wanted to, in making this movie, he wanted to try to explain why some people might end up like this and understand them as human beings, which was not necessarily um, let, uh, giving them a pass or forgiveness, but just understanding what circumstances and environments would create this type of mentality, you know? And that is a lot more, uh, that sometimes that's not as easy as a, for people to swallow as, this guy is just this guy. This is the good guy, and that's the bad guy. And he's just bad, and they're just bad because they're jerks, and that's and that's why. Is what is there anything that you specifically don't like about this movie that you don't think works or really holds it back? I mean, it's definitely you don't just like sit down and watch it for fun. See, I kind of do because a lot of you know, like a portion of this movie kind of also plays out like a western, without going over the top. You know. Oh, I love that and, interview where Mangold is like. I wanted to write a Western, but I wasn't, I didn't have the confidence to write like a period Western. Oh, did he specifically say that? Yeah. There's like a behind the scenes, like deal about the development. And he like, Mm -hmm. he literally says that. Oh, that's crazy. And he's like, what if, what if I changed it from, you know, Montana or Colorado or whatever to, uh, something that I know, which is like New York and New Jersey. You know, it's like the ending, spe- like very much has, especially. Oh yeah, the shootout like, vibe. It has sure. like a has a high noon uh, tombstone gunfight at the OK Corral type of vibe, without feeling like it's gone into like it. It doesn't switch tones so much, so you feel like you're watching a different movie. But there's definitely the Western influences. But I didn't know specifically he was like I wanted to make a Western, but then decided to make this thing set in modern day instead. Yeah. He's had an interesting career because uh, he makes, before this, he makes the movie Heavy, which is kind of like an indie drama. He makes this. Then he moves on and he like makes Girl Interrupted and Caden uh, uh, Leopold, like the time travel uh, romantic comedy. Then he makes like a horror thriller. Then he makes Identity. Identity, yeah. <laughs> that movie that. sucked. It's so dumb. I mean, I blame like, that more on the story, though. I don't think the direction it's like a, was particularly it's a, bad. From a tech, it's a technically well-made movie. Yeah, but it's the just whole like, it's. I remember thinking, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a cool and interesting like thing," and in the first five minutes, I guessed the ending. I was like, "Really?" 
Well, here was the thing. Like, I'm watching the. I saw it in the theater, and I'm watching it, and I was like, it can't be that, right? It can't be just like, oh, it's all in somebody's head. Yeah, it was so and obvious, it, but that's right? like. So I was like so obvious that I was like, it's got to be some. There's some other explanation, if whether it's supernatural or this or that. There's something else going on. And then when it literally twists to like uh, John Cusack just sitting in a room, be like, "Where am I? And what's going on?" I was like, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" It it did actually do what you thought it was going to do. It's just and wild it was, how many movies have like cribbed that concept. Yeah. Uh, same with Secret Window, the Stephen oh King movie with Johnny Depp, and same with. Uh, uh, Shutter Island. I guess that from the trailer. I remember watching that trailer with people and then being like, oh, what do you think is going to happen? I was like, is it not like painfully obvious that right. he is uh, just an inmate of this place? When I was watching Shutter Island and he's going up that, like, te- like what is the lighthouse or whatever, I'm like, please let there actually be Nazi experiments in there. Please let that actually be what's happening. Yeah, please, something like crazy. Please, please. Please, and then it's just like this is all part of an elaborate brain experiment to try and cure you. And I'm like, no. Yeah, it's like Dark City or something. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, get out, get out of here. But yeah, so then he makes that. Then he makes Walk the Line. And then he makes uh, a really shitty Wolverine movie. And then he makes the like by far one of the best Wolverine slash, but not just best Wolverine movies, but like one of the best like comic book movies ever made. Like, very bizarre career for this guy. Now he's making the new Indiana Jones movie. I will say the 310 to Yuma, I remember seeing that in the theater when it came out. Like, I was I was ready f- to like Westerns for some mm-hmm. reason. And I remember, I don't know if it came out around this, I don't think it came out around the same time, but, like, uh, the uh, the remake of... Thinking of True Grit? Yeah, of True Grit. Yeah, was not too long after that, but that was a cool period where it was like uh, also uh, open range, yeah, and Appaloosa, like all these like new westerns were coming out that were pretty good. Yeah, and I it agree. Was, uh, it was kind of cool. Like I was ready for that at the time, so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to see that he was responsible for that. Because Three Ten to Yuma was like it felt modern. They were it was, it was like pretty, a wisecracking yeah. sort of buddy. It was pretty solid. I mean, it wasn't like, I didn't think it was amazing by any means. Like No, but, but just it, very it was, refreshing at the time. Yeah. It's like there, there hadn't been th- any, many Westerns and like uh, Christian Bale and the Australian guy. R- uh, Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell Crowe. Uh, they had a, like a good chemistry and a yeah. fun like. Peter Fonda's great in it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, one of the Wilson brothers just shows up with like. Oh, I I don't really remember Hilarious dental implants. Not Owen Wilson. Luke Wilson? Yeah, Luke Wilson. Just I don't shows remember up. that. He's like a random goon number 15, and he's uh, on screen for like a couple minutes and then gets killed. Huh. Hilarious. And he's yeah, got like these that. gnarly like yellow teeth and stuff. It's I think funny. those might just be his actual teeth. No, stop. The only thing I really didn't think there was like one, th- and this is a kind of a nitpicky thing, but I did that like really stuck out to me that I didn't like in that movie was that... Christian Bale's character is supposed to have a wooden leg. Oh, and right. there's like scenes of him like running around on rooftops, jumping from rooftop to rooftop as if it's nothing like, and like, I was like, does this guy have a wooden leg? What's going on? You know, yeah. this looks kind of a little too easy for him, but whatever that's yeah. Back to Stallone's performance. Um, for me, this is his best performance and better than even first blood or Rocky, the first Rocky, uh, because it's just one he's playing against expectations of himself, which 
possibly isn't necessarily something you obviously can't watch that in a vacuum and count that as part of his performance because if you didn't know who he was and you just watch you just watched it it would just be like oh this is just an actor doing whatever the actor normally does when i wonder if if someone watching it without knowing who stallone is if they'd be like oh this guy's terrible in this role he he sticks out too much he doesn't fit because he's so right we watch him come down from this sort of elevated position but if you're if you're seeing him completely cold maybe he doesn't fit I don't know if that's true though because like think about it like Well what is truth Elliot? It's all well, a matter of perspective. Yeah. I know. Our yeah, perceived know. realities, the allegory of the cave, the matrix and so on. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying this like if that was the case, I feel like maybe you watch the movie once and you're like, "Oh wow, Stallone's doing something different." But then the next time you watch it, you'd be like, "Oh, it's not that great." But every time I watch it, I get a little bit more out of out of what he's doing, and just like that scene, you know that scene where he's talking to Ray Liotta, and he's talking about, you know, like how when he was a teenager, he jumped into the water to to save the 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 girl, and after she drove off the bridge, and he goes, you know, if I saw that, saw someone saw her drive into the bridge today, I wouldn't jump in, I would have sat there, and thought about it, until it was too late. You know, and it's like just like how he delivers that in a way that's not, it's not like over dramatic, it's very matter of fact. And I think that's a very conscious choice to do that. And I think it's definitely the right choice because putting too much into it would be would undermine that character and i think that's what would normally happen you know and that's why i'm saying like some ebert said his performance is one note it's not one note it's just very understated and what he's doing i think is a lot more difficult than you know yelling show me the money you know no and i think i think you're right because i've seen if you've seen sylvester stallone in interviews he is kind of just like a over the top guy even when right. he's like dialing it down yeah he can be just like sort of eye rolling like it's almost like he's always performing and can't right. like turn it off even when he's right. like at a low energy level and so yeah deliveries like that are very like uh realistic right and in 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 first blood his his performance is a lot more dialed up which is appropriate for that movie oh yeah exactly that character requires it but it's it's not something that like yeah it's it's still but it's still like that it's bombastic and bombastic can be very good it can be what's appropriate but it, like for me it just doesn't hit the same chord that this performance does and it's funny that you mentioned that about like how he appears in just even in interviews because if you look at him from interviews from this period when he's making this movie where it'd be like interviews during the production or during the press for it he himself is dialed back as well it's almost like playing this character toned him down at least for this moment in time he's always and, performing man always yeah always. exactly but I, yeah he's performing but in, in this moment he's now he's performing understated in public because that's what this role role is but that all that being said i do have a few like minor things about it that i think are not perfect and i said they're more surfacey type stuff 
Yeah, who um, cares? Like some of like the setups are like I think a little overdone. Like even just the the like how how they get to the point A of point B of having them pretend to jump off the uh, having Superboy pretend to jump off the bridge. Like when the like when they're pr- trying to plant the evidence and the EMT grabs the Uzi out of Robert Patrick's hand. I'm like, this seems like a, this doesn't seem like and throws it over and throws that over the bridge. Like this doesn't seem like how this would go in real life, you know. But that's pretty minor stuff. Yeah, and I can't I, I, I can't point out anything that I really have a problem with it other than like it's the type of movie that like I couldn't just like throw on at any at any occasion. Like I'd mm-hmm. kind of like I need all the pieces to be in place for me to be like, Oh, let me check out Copland again or right. even for the first time. Like it's, it's not it's a definitely mo- you're sitting with it and you're listening to it and it's right. It's kind of a commitment. Yeah, it's not like a, necessarily a movie that uh, if you're like, I mean, I guess you don't really most of the time flip through cable channels anymore. But if if you use that as an as an analogy, if you stopped on it halfway through, you may, you probably wouldn't just be like, oh, Copland's on. I'll watch. I'll start. I'll watch the second half of it. Yeah, let me catch Even, it in the middle and just enjoy the climax right. or something like that. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think I could that that w- would work for me. But uh, you're abnormal. One. Correct. You're not like the the typical movie going audience. Like you're you're uh, a hardcore movie guy and also kind of a oddball, and so you're definitely an exception in that scenario. Sure, but I'm I'm just saying like. But I you're right. This is also no. This is not Demolition Man. Right. This is not. I understand why someone else would be like, oh, I don't. I'm not going to do that. You know, type of thing. Yeah. One thing I've noticed about Sloane's career, if we want to talk in more broader sense. Is that like a lot of times the characters? That Here's he plays, a perfect example of okay. how you're an oddball. Is you've noticed uh, some kind of trend in regard to Sylvester Stallone's career trajectory? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> well, look at it though. I mean, like there's a there's there's a parallel between the characters he plays and what's going on with his own life and career. So, Rocky, right? first movie it's about this guy struggling to make it make a name for himself and that and that and you know that's what's happening with Stallone as an actor you know at that time he's has not been successful he's been in a few things but he's he's dirt poor he hasn't he hasn't been able to break it blah blah, blah. and that kind of makes sense for you know someone like that who's a first time out and he wrote the screenplay for that obviously so he's it, there's a semi-autographical component to it right yeah, that off. That's often the case, you know, particularly early on in in someone's career. He's writing that. what he knows, which is very. That's a smart way to write, and right. a smart way to get some real reactions from audiences and like connect with people. And yeah. so then, uh, when it came to Demolition Man, he was at the time in his life where he had accidentally been responsible for the deaths of an entire bus full of people and they cryogenically froze him <laughs> right. to be awakened in the future. Yeah, the, the film, yeah. They, they didn't wake him up until it was time to make Copland. But no, so he makes that movie, right? Then he's on top of the fucking world, right? He's huge success, instant star. He makes a couple movies, like uh, he makes, um, uh, let's see, Fist and Victory, which are... Not criti- uh, financially successful, but critically well received. And then he makes the lore. Uh, no, he makes um, Hudson Paradise- Hawk. <laughs> Shut up! Just kidding. That's 
that no, that's Bruce Willis dressed as yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Dressed, dressed as Sylvester Stallone in Rocky, yeah. Um, but then he makes uh, Paradise Alley, which is like this huge ego piece, right? Like he wrote, starred, directed. He th- he sings the theme song for it, which and in Paradise he Alley, sing. yeah. Wow. And it's just like this, like this over the top, like over the top. Like, Oh my god! I didn't even realize I did that. But it's like this, yeah, over the top, larger than life, kind of like Capra s type story that, it, but it just doesn't like, but gets it's too bloated and gets away with it, away from itself, and like all the characters are like too good. Like there's not enough. Like he he stops writing flaws into his own characters, type of thing. Like the guy he's playing is just like an all good guy, right? And that flops, right? So then he comes and he keeps having he has a series of flops. Then he does First Blood, and what is it about? It's about a guy down on his luck, facing trauma, trying to re-enter society, right? Then that's a huge hit. Rambo 2, what is it? It's about the ultimate warrior, you know? And this, this he has this trajectory through his career, right? He made Copland because he thought his career was stalling out because he'd done, like, all these movies, like, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, and just, like, poorly received action movies. He's Lock like, up. Lock up, like Tango make, and Cash. Yeah, these movies that were not big hits, and he's like, "I'm going to make go back to serious drama, right?" And then that doesn't work. So now he just goes back to doing those action movies again, and they start stalling out. Then he's like, "I'm going to make Rocky," and it's about Rocky being in the lowest point of his life since the first one, and then that's a big hit, you know. And then and then he goes right back into like, now I'm in the Expendables, and I'm the world's most badass guy in the world. Like he chooses, it's not just like career moves. It's like what's happening to him in his personal life is de- de- depicting the characters that he's that he's that he's choosing. Well, and he's also notorious for like rewriting every movie right. that he's on. Right. And right. So it's like you, you can't escape it, even if they only let him rewrite his character. Like it's all there. I mean, he even I even I saw in an interview for Copland that he even said like. This is the first time he hasn't done something like that in a long time. Yeah, where he just put where he just put trust in the director and the original script. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and now and, he's just like a cartoon character, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. But then, like, it didn't work out for him in his career. What would his career would have been like if it had been sense? Would he just have kept on making more serious stuff like like that, or would he have would he have been ego filled again and made the movie where he's now the world's best cop or it's like Cobra two or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm honestly, I would have taken either one, but it would have been, it would be cool to see like, yeah, those people who are sort of like given too much control over there careers Mm -hmm. like what would they have done in the hands of other creative people like Nicolas Cage is notorious for like being a goof but at least he will collaborate and sort of surrender himself to like we wouldn't have gotten Mandy if he wouldn't have been like hey Panos Cosmatos uh tell me what to do baby and I'll do it right and he did but but even in that one like you know he uh Panos Cosmatos originally approached Cage to be the uh, the what's the Jeremiah Sand character? Oh, which on paper, like you know, makes you know that your initial thought is like, oh yeah, that makes more sense. But I'm so happy that we got the other one, you know, the other version. Yeah, definitely. And, 
Cage is like, I don't know, I want to play this character. And then if you talk, if you listen to him talk about their collaboration, it's really cool about how they developed that character. Because he was like, okay, well, you can do it, but it's got to have these marks, you know? And then he delivered on it, you know? Well, and funny still is, did his own thing. As cool as that villain is, I think it's kind of one note, actually. And I think yeah. Cage probably clocked that right away and was like, I want more to do. Yeah. I want to be like a sweetie pie and then... I want to go insane. Like, there's a character arc there that he probably was like, cool, I want I want to do that. I don't want to just, like, be a, a bad guy. I don't know how much of this part of the story is true, but Cage has talked about how shortly before that he made uh, Bad Lieutenant uh, Port of Call New Orleans with Werner Herzog. And Werner Herzog said to him, that he wanted him to be the California Klaus Kinski in this role, you know, like <laughs> channel Klaus Kinski into this role. And you'd be the California version of him rather than the German version. Allegedly, Nicholas Cage Cage claims that coincidentally, Panos Cosmatos said to Cage about the Jeremiah Sand role. He's like, I want you to play this character. And I want you to be the California Klaus Kinski to this character. And Cage said, well, I am the California Klaus Kinski, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. So I don't know how true that story is, but it certainly is a fun one. Yeah, that's kind of wild. That's um, the kind of story I don't want to dig any deeper into because I don't want to. No. I don't want to really. I don't want to know if it's, it's it, it, as legend, it's, it's fine just as it is, you know. Yeah. Um. I know that's a little sidetrack into that that area, but it is. Yeah, but I've been thinking about Mandy a lot lately. Same, actually. After watching the uh, the Panos Cosmatos uh, uh, Cabinet of Curiosities episode, I haven't watched. I'm that's I haven't watched that one yet. It's next. I've been watching them in order, and it's the next one. Uh, side little side conversation right there. I'm really digging that show. What a great piece of business! Even the worst episode is still more fun to watch than like 90% of all shows. Absolutely. Like wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, even like, I don't know my favorite, my least favorite episode so far is like Pikmin's model. And it's kind of like by the numbers and, you know, not too interest, not too, it's kind of, it's a kind of boring, but it's still got like cool monsters in it. Yeah. Like still pretty well made. Yeah. You know, and pretty well performed and enjoyable to watch just for like the aesthetic and the vibe. Like they all kind of have a similar, kind of energy to them even though they're by different directors and uh the stories are like wildly varying quite a bit i think my least favorite so far is the storage unit story that one i really liked but it just kind of like ended yeah exactly it's not not a very satisfying climax and like you said like it's 90 even when it's not perfect it's 90 percent better of most stuff you could be watching Particularly for an anthology show, because yeah. I don't care how good of an anthology show it is. Normally, like every second or third episode is a real stinker. Yeah. And we haven't had, like I said, I have two episodes left, but there hasn't been a single stinker in it, you know? No. The, the, the lotion one uh, kind of fumbles at the end, but like yeah, for the most bit. part, it's very fun to watch. That one was like really reminded me of like a Tales from the Crypt. Yeah episode but like honestly like a little bit better you know yeah like very Uh, funny and lots of cool characters and performances yeah i really like that one um the autopsy is fucking great it's unbelievable 
what what a ride i don't want to say anything about it to anybody because it was how there's okay there's one thing i do want to discuss about the ending of the autopsy which was my tiny 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 little just like but we'll be unit that'll be just for you and me after we're done with this uh, cop land after we're done with cop land um but yeah check that movie out or show out yeah the Um, the rat one too that one started out kind of meandering and i was like what are we doing here like are we going anywhere and then all of a sudden like when the action uh, Uh down in the tunnel kind of kicked off i was having the best time and i love the ending like that one was just like a ton of fun it's it, that one was so good in just the terms of fact of like how everything just kind of keeps mounting on itself and getting worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, like he bumps his head and then he accidentally shoots himself in the foot and then all, you know, and it just like escalates in this kind of <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, just stop doing this to yourself. Yeah. Type thing. I honestly think the only reason why it kind of meandered, and this was the, the my initial feeling I was having when watching it, is because it's. The first episode is a storage space one. And what's the general premise? A guy's in debt and is trying to make money through not the most ethical means. What's the premise of the second episode, the right episode? A guy's in debt and is trying to make money through unethical means. Yeah. It was like if they changed the order of it, I don't think the rat one would have felt meandering. Like if that one came was episode five. Yeah, and maybe that was it. It was just the placement. Like, it felt a little bit redundant in, like, right. kind of the first half. Right. But. Right. Yeah. Um, but, oh, yeah. Overall, man. Like, yeah. Great show. Everyone watch it so we'll get a second season, please. Yeah. I think I have. Um, I still have Dreams in the Witch House and. Oh, I guess I have three episodes left. Because yeah, I have that one, the viewing, and, like, what is called, like, the murmur or something. Yeah, the murmuring and dreams in the witch yeah. house are the last two. Yeah. yeah, so I have three episodes. Yeah, yeah. left to watch, but absolutely loving it. Yeah, what a great show! I also love the the Guillermo del Toro's like little Twilight Zone style intro. Oh, it's great! Where he pulls yeah. something out of the cabinet and you know muses about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like he seems like. He just seems like he almost like had like was on his lunch break and was like, throw a suit on me and I'll walk in. He's like, like, oh, hey, everybody. I didn't see you there. Let's talk about what's in my cabinet real quick. Because it's 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 like the perfect type of awkward because, you know, you see that guy in interviews and he's like so high energy, right? Yeah. He always and has this, a, he just, like a twinkle in his eye about everything. Right. What a guy. And this one, it's the exact opposite. And like. If you didn't know how he was normally, you could kind of see, think maybe he was just like phoning these in, like he didn't want to do it. But it almost seems more like he's just like, just a little too awkward trying to do it. Like something like he's like, the director's like, okay, action. He's like, now? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, there's a, a, a paintings. They are windows into the eyes, you know, or something. They're dogs and, just, and they're playing poker. Right. It's just like he's like the kid in the school play who's just kind of like, oh, shit, I forgot my line. I wish I actually wish they would have put him in like his pajamas or something instead of a suit. I think uh-huh. that would have been more appropriate. Yeah. Like he's just it's middle of the night and like we woke him up and he's like, oh, let me tell you about this thing in my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love it. I love it. Yeah. What a show. Um, yeah. Anyway, we digress. Uh, but Copland, yeah, uh, this is a really solid, just a re- 
it works on a lot of levels. It's, yeah, there's no monsters, works. there's no Guillermo del Toro, yeah. but it's still a pretty good uh, movie, especially if you like your characters where everyone has a little backstory to enjoy and mm-hmm. they all kind of mean something to the story and, and right. have a have a useful part to play. Yeah, even the characters that are perhaps like we don't get like a full like 360 view of them. None of them are throwaways, you know. They all fit into the the, the the puzzle. And yeah, there are very few characters that are just like yelling other characters' names. If right. You, if you get my reference. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I don't. I mean, it's not a super specific reference, but there is a lot of movies, especially like thrillers and action movies, where oh, there's right. just characters who yell other characters' names, and they right. yeah, they yeah, don't yeah, serve no, any other yeah. purpose than that. Right. Yeah, they don't exist as solely as a plot device. Yeah. Um, it it it's, it deals with like some some, some pretty like uh, it deals with some themes in some very thoughtful like nuanced ways. It delivers the goods at the end as like a thriller action movie. Um, that shootout where he's deaf and like the way they film that, where it's like all muted and muffled, and he's all like bloodied up and like yeah, and he's struggling to keep his balance and like equilibrium yeah. and everything. Yeah, and it's just like that scene is so cool, and I like how they they the way they established him as being a good shot earlier at kind of the fair was. That's kind of a common way of setting that up, you know, something like that, where it's like, oh, well, you, you go and do this other thing, and that will explain why you're good at, at this. But the, even the way they delivered that, it's it's like almost like a game of chess, you know, where it's not just gratuitously like, oh, we need to get him in here. There's a purpose going on in, in that scene as well. You know, where well, he's like a lot of, of lesser movies with- would have done the thing where like, as he's getting ready for the showdown or in the middle of the showdown, he'd have like flashbacks to like, uh, you know, when he was a teenager and it was like, Oh, you won a medal for being the best shot in the right. County or something. Right. You know what I yeah, mean? It's totally. like, Oh, by the way, he's actually totally. a very dangerous person. Right. Whereas like, he's like so underestimated, you know, but like, Oh no, he's really good. He's a, he's a really good shot. Yeah. And, but like, they would just have it shoehorn it out of nowhere instead yeah. of like, you know, this is like, it's just sort of part of the progression of everything. And it's part of like just fleshing out the town, right? right? It's like the events are unfolding and they just, it's naturally in place. I like that kind of stuff. It's good writing. And I like also too, it's like, he's never, even in that scene where he's blowing everybody away, he doesn't seem like an unstoppable juggernaut, you know, like he's a better shot than everybody. He's and he has more determined. He has something to prove. That's the only reason why. But he's not like this invincible action hero. Like no, he's he also shot. has the element of surprise. Like there's quite a few right. things working in his favor. So it isn't. There's right. nothing magical about. Like if he if he was not underestimated, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have won that gunfight. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Because when, he, when he's walking up, he's walking up with a shotgun in his hand and the other cops are like, don't do this, Freddie. Just keep walking, you know? Yeah. Because they don't think he's actually going to try anything, you know? No. And then uh, and then he starts blowing them away. Um, well, right. They set that up by him saying, you know, these days, like, I don't do things about anything. Right. Right. I just pull people over and tell them to fix right. their taillight. Which is, I mean, like, in the scene prior to the shootout, that's why they didn't kill him to begin with. We already talked about that. They just blow out his ear to teach him a lesson, you know? Yeah. But even that scene, you know, like they got him on the ground and he's like, he's like 
scared out of his mind and begging me like we don't have to do it this way right and they're like don't worry freddy we're not gonna kill you you big scaredy cat you know we're just gonna blow out your good ear um yeah i don't know isn't he kind of faking that i know i don't think so at all that's not how that was not how i tracked i tracked it as just kind of like oh god this is like they're gonna they're gonna fucking kill me they got a gun to the back of my head weird maybe i'm manufacturing that memory yeah. from another movie because i in my head i'm like oh they he's like on the ground panicking and freaking out and then as soon as they leave it's not like he goes like he immediately recovers but he's sort of like he changes his face where he's like i was exaggerating that now i'm gonna fucking get you guys yeah i don't think it was so much that as just kind of like he's like fuck get it together like you still got work to do type oh, of thing. yeah yeah um and even like the part where you know it's like okay he's in the house he's he saved Superboy. He shot uh, Ray. Ray's on the ground, you know, with like a non-fatal gunshot wound. Um, and Ray's talking, and he can't hear him because his ear blowns or eardrums are blown out. Uh, and he says, "I can't hear you, Ray." I mean, that is such a little bit on the nose because, like, one, he physically can't hear him, um, but also is like he's just been listening to Ray that you know his entire career. And now he's like, I'm not listening to you anymore. And it is on the nose, but like, I don't know. Like, normally something like that would make me groan, but it works for me in this instance. Yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. And maybe it's just because of how well he's sold his character up until this point. Um, but I don't know. This is like a this is like a nine out of a ten movie for me. Yeah, it's a very good movie made by yeah. talented people. What yes. else what else can you say really? Right now, if it did have like some tentacles or some monsters or some slime, bump it straight up to 10. Yeah, if they would throw, uh, you know, if there were cops that didn't sort of like uh, go with the flow and like, you know, support the group and they threw them in some kind of a pit that had like a, a big like mouth in it yes. that digested, you know, cops and then it would spit up their badge. That would be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, apropos of nothing, just no explanation, just completely tonally out of the left field. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, I guess that's that's probably it for Copland, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I don't think there's much much else to say about it. Very good, very good movie. Please watch. Please yes. watch movie. So that does it for this round of the trash heap. Um you can give us a listen on the the podcast you're already listening to on the whatever service you're using. So there you go. Yeah, leave a review. Find us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram at Trash Pod. Yeah. Please hear show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. And Keith, what do you always say? I'm happy that you're happy, but the place in the bathroom where you're supposed to have toilet paper, instead you got this little shelf with three seashells. And until <laughs> next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing. <laughs>